Hello, San Pedro Podcast, episode 65. You are listening to the Hello, San Pedro Podcast. I'm Amanda, your host. Join me as I talk to amazing people within our community, business owners, community activists, local leaders, and people like you and me who love San Pedro. This is a place where we'll share big ideas, discuss hot topics, and spread good vibes. everyone. Welcome back to the Hello San Pedro podcast. Today, I will not be your host. I am out of town. This is me recording last week. Um, I Today on the show, I actually have two repeat guests who are going to be co-hosting the episode, and they're going to be talking about a really important topic today, and that is the opening of the new bridge home in San Pedro. Um, they're here to answer some questions, some concerns, and give you a lot more information about how it works how it operates, especially in this pandemic. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And without any further ado, I want to welcome Amber Shake Ginsburg and Lee Williams. Enjoy. This episode was brought to you by San Pedro Today, your local community magazine, bringing you stories from San Pedro. everyone. Welcome to Hello San Pedro. You'll hear two familiar but disturbing voices, unfortunately, in this podcast right now because myself, Amber Sheet Ginsburg, and who are you? Lee Williams. Are co-hosting today because Amanda ran, she ran away. She did. And I only want to hear you introduce yourself as Commissioner Amber Sheet Ginsburg. I refuse. I refuse. That's been the end of all my good relationships is insisting people call me commissioner. Um, <laughs> so before we get started, um, I just wanted to share, Lee, I have a post-it of some of the rules that oh, you and I need to follow. Since I've here. never been on a Zoom call with you where there were rules, so this should yes. be good. So because this is for public consumption, the rules for this are no bad language, uh, so no, you're going to be silent I'm, through most I'll of I'll see you later. Things. You're just going to mm-hmm. talk. No inside jokes. Mm-hmm. No sure. mean jokes. That's for right. me. You can say as right. many mean jokes as you want. And I no wandering was my okay. other one. Perfect. <laughs> but we don't actually have to abide by any of those because we're the hosts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this is perfect. I think this is very timely and that you and I always have so much fun together. Yeah. Working on such a heated issue here in San Pedro, but just such a needed service to our community and really getting to the heart of what's being done and how the, the, the problem is being addressed is, um, I can't imagine anyone better to talk about than you. So it's basically going to be me asking you a bunch of questions. Oh no, I have questions for you too. Okay, great. Yeah. So that's what happens when you have two bossy people on the same actually was when I was nervous about this, I realized what made me nervous. And it was because even though like you and I have conversations as friends, I don't actually know who's in charge here. Right, no. On this call. You know what, in all the conversations you and I have, that's probably it. Who's in charge, yeah. First we should just establish who is the boss of this drink or call or conversation, right? Yeah, exactly. um, But this is a bossless interaction. Good luck to us. 
Um, yeah, no, I mean, and Lee and I spent actually a lot of time last week together, socially distanced with masks on at our new bridge home facility in San Pedro. And I can't, I can't really describe how impactful it was to have this finally come to fruition after two years of talking about it, fighting about it, wanting it, not wanting it, all of it. And now, as I'll tell you guys the story of a little later, which I told Lee earlier this week, we got to welcome our first residence home. And I was so lucky to be actually there to welcome our first resident home. Um, should I just start with that story actually? Yes, I wanna hear it again. Okay, first actually, let me just give a quick summary of what a bridge home is, because I was reminded that not everyone knows always. And so a bridge home is a program that came out in May, actually 2018. So May 2018, the mayor signed Executive Directive 24, which was encouraging all 15 council districts to erect a temporary shelter, temporary housing facility in their district while we were waiting for permanent housing to come online through, um, through Proposition H, Measure H. H funds. Yeah, H Measure funds. H funds. Yeah. Um, and so that was done two years ago. We were hoping most of these, you know, would go up within six months. But you know what? San Pedro was number 16 uh, of the uh, bridge homes to go up. So we're getting there. And the San Pedro one is beautiful. And if you want to see a video of that, Lee and I made a fun video of that while we were volunteering, not knowing it would become the official tour video. Yes, uh, so I, I thought it would. I knew, I knew your camera presence. Can I also say that in this conversation, the things that I hope that we uncover and we talk about a little bit more is what's next? You know, what is the bridge home? What is the process and the trajectory of these folks within the bridge home and how the community can help, how we can be supportive and what are the biggest ahas that we've discovered both in the process of the last two years and now, and right now. I love that. I think that's perfect. Let's do that. That's our agenda. Let's stick to that. <laughs> well, do you want to give any, um, before I, you know, make people cry, do you want to tell us more about a bridge home or your, you know, reactions or what you learned or what you saw? Yeah, I think as you brought up, the last two years have been emotional, mm -hmm. have been hard pressing, have been real and justified. And there's a lot of folks that are, have justified concerns and real concerns about what our homeless uh, situation and what that community um, means and does to San Pedro. Um, it's really difficult to see because it means that we're failing in, in some ways as a city and as a community and, and making sure that we have enough housing for everyone. But also it's very difficult as the chamber chairman or chair, Board chair, there we go. Chair As bear. The board chair, yeah, chair bear of the San Pedro Chamber of Commerce. It, it's really difficult for our local businesses to deal with that aspect of our community failures. And what um, what we're trying to achieve is to address that. And one very wise person recently, or often says, uh, the only thing that people in San Pedro hate more than the homeless situation is doing something about the homeless situation. And um, I always think, you know, you have to laugh at that a little bit, but it's real. But, oh, it's super true. I, it's so, super true up until two years ago. Yeah. 
And, and so anyway, I, I, I'd yeah. love, can we start out with that first and then we'll come back to the story? Yeah. Of the opening. So I have gained so much respect for you in how you've handled this CD15 working group and the questions and the, the motions and the conversations around what we need to do to effectively end homelessness in San Pedro. And so talk, can you tell me how you felt through that entire process? Yeah, no, I so appreciate that. I mean, I obviously wasn't gonna do it alone. If people hadn't started gathering on and started multiplying and compounding, uh, I would just be a sad woman drinking wine alone on my couch, shaking my fist at the news, which I do <laughs> occasionally anyway, for fun. Um, but, you know, early on, especially having a background in homeless services and working in homeless services, I just couldn't believe we as a community were so apprehensive to actually do anything. I mean, even the fact that Harbor Interfaith, which is our, the service, the lead service provider for our South Bay area, doesn't actually have any like shelter beds in this city because they're like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, people assume that we have shelters here. We don't. We have nothing. Um, like if you're a homeless individual tonight in San Pedro, well, now you have a shelter because you have a county one and the bridge home one, which is together 140 beds. But up until the county opened, whatever that was, six months ago now, I have pandemic, I have no idea what day or time it is. There was not a single bed. So people were like, ah, they got to go inside. And okay, well, where? Where? Um, yeah. Long Beach you know, prioritizes Long Beach residents and there's enough Long Beach homeless individuals to more than fill those beds. And the closest bed for us was um, at least the ones that are publicly accessible were in Inglewood that Harbor Interfaith connected people to. And then there's two small shelters in Wilmington that are faith-based and are the kind of the typical, like you line up each night, you got to leave your stuff on the street, kind of, you, you know, each night over and over, rinse and repeat. But this was like the first time that I'd heard when Executive Directive 24 came out that there was like a real potential solution or pipeline to a solution and that we could get our fair share of it. Um, like it wasn't that somebody got to decide where these all go. Like each council member got to say, yes, I'm going to put one up. And there was funding for it. And there were funding, there was funding to support the community around it too. And it's like, what a great opportunity. Why would we say no to this? We have over 550 homeless individuals each night on the street in San Pedro. How is that helping us? Um, so it got me really excited. And luckily there were enough people who had maybe been a little traumatized in the past by being outspoken as someone who wanted to support solutions, who felt silenced for lack of a better word that they couldn't stand up and that the community just was not going to support something like this. Right. And I've said it before, the more people that came on board, the more people that came on board until right. it felt like it was okay to be on this side of history. And Perfect. then I was so proud I mean, I say this all the time, especially with the chamber. I mean, you guys are a chamber of commerce. You are not a humanitarian group, at least not known to be. Um, like, you hate people, don't you? No, I'm joking. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> like, when the chamber came on, especially given the profile of our chamber and who is so active in our chamber and folks that have worked in city government and are leaders in this community and just folks people respect and look up to that much also said, 
yeah, this is good for business. Yeah. Um, which I always knew, but it just made so much sense that like people weren't afraid anymore. And, and they I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that was it really. I mean, people. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I talking think over each other. Go, go I ahead. Think that's, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I just want to point out the fact that we had um, a real good, deep bench of ideas at the Chamber of Commerce in mm-hmm. terms of how to address our homeless situation and to have the leadership of two people that I respect beyond words, um, Tim McCosker and Mona Sutton, who were the chairs of our quality of life committee within the chamber. And they rolled up their sleeves and they said, you know what, we need to get folks in the room and we need to talk about how we're going to address this. So we had the city attorney, we had the city prosecutor, we had the LAPD, we had sanitation, we had uh, fire, fire, fire yeah. department, we had uh, Harbor Interfaith, we had um, the uh, Providence Little Company of Mary, we had uh, CD15, we had county, we had all of the right components in the same room. And with those two powerful forces of Tim mm-hmm. and Mona really applying themselves to this need, I think that a lot of the the questions that and the um, the issues that needed to be addressed got hammered out in that room, the room where yeah. it happened, and and so I feel like this bridge home, even though it's a mayor directive, I think that the community is baked into it because of all of those conversations and all of the the work that was done to to really apply uh, the solutions that are needed to make this a successful endeavor. I completely agree. I mean, I think obviously Councilmember Buscaino, you know, had to lead the charge, but he would not have had the the smoothish path, which I know probably his staff is like, there was no smooth path. Smooth but, path. Um, what are you talking about? <laughs> the, there would be no even super rocky potholed path if it wasn't for a lot of the community members who said, no, we're going to stay this course and we are going to keep driving until we get there. Yeah. And it's funny because I disagree with Joe all the time, but I, or not all the time, but often. Yeah. And I love just his passion and his courage to address this situation. He has three bridge homes. I was going to say, and do three. Three. I mean, way to be an overachiever. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's serious about taking care of this. And his background in policing, I think, uh, just really harkens to the fact that he's serious about this. And he was well, he's taken the slings both internally with the city and having to push the rock up the hill. And he's taken a lot of the, the grumps, gripes and complaints from the community. Yeah. And he has never lost focus. So I really applaud the efforts. He- I did too. And he's coming at it actually from the public safety perspective. Right. Which is really cool. So when you look at who in this community got together to make this happen, these aren't people that you would normally be like, oh, they're definitely holding hands all the time. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well really, said. Right. Um, like the chamber. Cutting heads. Yeah. Who, um, you know, representing our business community, our, you know, commerce, our local economy, which is amazing and robust and not to be, you know, ignored, honestly. And then our public safety, which is, uh, you know, a very critical concern of a lot of our residents. But then we also have folks that are advocates and folks that are 
seeing this as the humanitarian crisis of our time, especially in this city, and something that we've long overlooked. And it's just, it's not, we can't overlook it anymore. It's a bigger issue around equity and about where kind of all of our systemic failures intersect. So yeah. it's like all these different groups with different motivations, different mindsets, and actually just the, the different reasons they get out of bed each morning, yep. coming together and deciding this is the solution for right now. Right. And naturally opposing forces that have joined hands and said, you know what, we don't agree on everything, but we agree that we have to do something here. Do something. Let's do it. Let's get yeah. to work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really cool. And for those that don't know, the San Pedro facility has a hundred beds and the Wilmington facility will open in about a week and a half. And what's the breakdown of the beds, Amber? Oh God, I'm going to get this wrong every time. 64 men, 36 women. You nailed it. Good job. Yes. <laughs> Some people don't know this, but I repeatedly got those numbers wrong. I just like jokes. I just like had a little dyslexia with the numbers constantly, but yeah. you know, generally I got it right. Okay. <laughs> so now that we're there, now we're, that yeah. we're talking about the bridge home. Yeah. What, what, let's talk about that a little bit in terms of what it means to have yeah. those 36 beds for women, 64 beds 64 for men. 64 beds for men. I mean, like I said, watch the tour video if you haven't seen it, so you can just put the visual to it. But it's it's not like a traditional shelter where folks, you know, line up and then they got to do the whole thing again. And I even saw a question on Facebook about where do they go during the day? And I wanted to address that because they don't have to go anywhere during the day, actually. Um, it's their home, though, that they're, though they're probably working on things during the day because right there they have case management. So people are working with them on anything from mental health issues to getting medication management for the health issues to getting a job to getting paperwork together or school certifications or whatever that is or things as basic as getting used to the idea of living in a community and living inside and some of the things that takes so there's staff that that's are that's a transition for a lot a of the real those transition folks. for people and there's staff there that are dedicated just to getting people used to that idea um, if, when your head is so focused on where am I going to sleep tonight? Yes. How am I going to protect my stuff? If I have a dog, how am I going to feed my dog, you know, my favorite companion in the world? Mm -hmm. How am I going to take care of and to protect my, my, you know, buddy? And, you know, how am I going to transitioning from that, that's real yes. insecure, unknown world you know, where I could wake up in the middle of the night being attacked by all sorts of people, right? Yes. And transition to, wait, I'm safe? This is my place? I can wake up in the morning and know that my stuff is right there and I don't have to fight anyone over it? And I know that my, you know, my loved one, my companion, my, my puppy is right there with me and I have a better life, I'm going to try to provide a better life for my, my best friend. No, it's, in, I mean, it's actually harder than most people think. I mean, I, um, you know, one of the women that I work with very closely at one of our encampments, we got her inside for the first time in five years. She, we had a motel room for her to help her get some, get stabilized while, while we waited for some kind of meds to kick in and see if we could get her um, license back. 
And I went and visited her every day to make sure she's like, okay, and had food. And it wasn't until day four that she slept in the bed. Right. And I'm like, that's a queen size bed. Like, like it's in, but she was so apprehensive at the idea of it because it was, it was safer in the bathtub because it was further away from the door. Trust. I think reestablishing trust. (laughs) And it's like, you've been sleeping in a tent. You know, and like, it doesn't matter. My logic, my intellect, like intellectualization of this does not matter. Like she felt safer the furthest away from the door she could, just in case, even though she knew she, she could lock the door, there was very little trust for the fact that like someone was actually going to help her or someone was going to assault her in the middle of the night. I mean, for women, and this is just what we've gathered data on over 90% of women who've experienced homelessness have been sexually assaulted. Right. Right. I mean, the number is absolutely higher. Um, and when I hear stories from most women out there, it's like this awful template of story that you just can't imagine of like day one, you realize you're homeless. What the F do you do there? And then day two, you you trust someone and then things get stolen. And before you know it, you have no paperwork or IDs. And now case managers are telling you you can't get into housing until you have those things back. So you know you're going to be back there still sleeping on the street for another two or three or four weeks while all those things get processed. And then you are assaulted or you are raped. And now you are dealing with the compounding trauma of that. And then maybe you decide, okay, I actually want someone to be prosecuted. So I go to the hospital, which means then the case manager doesn't know where I am. So I miss an appointment and blah, blah, blah. I mean, this, I could go on forever about this, but this is right. like the, the picture of being out on the street the first week and how that turns into months and years, because every day you're out there, it's harder to get back in. Yeah. And, and that's what this is, this bridge home. It's like this bridge to housing, but it's a personal bridge to let's give you the stability you need to work on everything else that you lost about yourself, your identity, or just your literal things you need to get to the next step. Right. Um, so what happened day one? We, we talked yes. about the post office and we talk about the need to really address that collection of population. Mm-hmm. What happened day one? Yeah. So day one, um, guy we're going to call M he, his case manager said to show up at seven forty-five cause you don't want to miss your appointment because lots of people are waiting for these beds. There's actually a pretty, uh, like all the beds are spoken for right now. And there's a wait list and they're t- in taking eight to 10 people a day because that's the kind of the flow that they can manage until all hundred beds are taken. So he gets there at seven thirty-five, <laughs> ready to go. And we actually don't let him in, I want to say, for another hour because there's still some other preparations that need to be done. So he's just patiently waiting with his caseworker and they're chatting about stuff. And then we open the gate and he comes in and he's so smiley. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) um, I don't know. This sounds like a weird thing to say. He had like a jolly nose. And I could like see his smile and his like jolly nose (laughs) like underneath his like he had kind of a you know, slightly sold white mask that he'd been wearing and trying to stay safe because the, the, he also knew that they were going to, you know, run temperature tests and all of those things to make sure everyone's safe that's coming in. And then he went to the section where we call it the hot box. It's not as exciting as it sounds. It's a, like a box that everyone puts their belongings into to kill germs or bed bugs or anything else that could be out there. Um, so he starts to go through all his belongings, do that. And then he's talking to the, the new program manager, Anthony, who's, it was his second day. Um, 
welcome to work. And then he gets, they, you know, they get all stuff in there. They point him over to the showers and he goes into the large shower stall and takes a nice hot shower and gets a change of clothes and then comes meets us in the main building where we have this, and if you haven't seen the building, it's this huge, like, airy tent structure so it's super not claustrophobic which is lovely too it's like an airplane hangar yes okay like the ceilings are so high it's lovely even though you have these pretty small cubicles of living space it really doesn't feel that way so he comes in and uh sherry weaver the program director at harbor interfaith and anthony the program manager for the san pedro site are sitting there and i'm sitting there and we're going over some paperwork and some house rules and he's just smiling and smiling um and we start to go over like, you know, you can't have drugs here. You can't bring, and he was like, no, I've been sober for five years. He's like, I actually, up until this pandemic was going to a meetings at this local church. And he told this local church and um, someone on staff who was also in recovery said to him that um, they're there for him for that. So if, you know, he isn't able to get to AA, just know that you have a, a partner in recovery here as well. And I thought that was lovely. And then he was just so happy and like repeating the rules back. It was so sweet. And then he was like, oh wait, I have to go pretty soon. I have to be somewhere at 10. And Sherry and I were like, okay, where do you have to be at 10? <laughs> like, like, dude, you're coming home today. Right. And he was like, I have a job interview. And we were like, oh, well in that case. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we were like, we looked at the time, it was like 9.20 by then. And we were like, yeah, we can, let's just get the thing signed. We'll whip through some more of the rules, but then there's these other kind of forms that we need to go over and Sherry will just go over those with you when you get back from your job interview. We asked him a little bit about his job interview and what's been going on. And he was so articulate. We just gave him some tips too while we were at it. And then um, off he went. Yeah. Oh, That's and then I beautiful. forgot the. <laughs> Lee knows this part. Oh yes. Hi, where his one like question because he was like, "Yes, all these rules sound great. All these rules sound great." And then he was like, "Can I ask a question?" We were like, "Okay," and he's like, "Can I get magazines here?" And we were like, "What?" Wow. And he was like, "Like magazine subscriptions. Like, can I use this as an address to get magazines?" And we were all just so taken aback by this request. Like right. Sherry's like, I don't, I don't know, honestly. I mean, we'll figure that out. He was just, just like, yeah, I'd like to get some magazines. And yeah. it, it brought home like what a home is to people. Right. And having an address and I having like a place address. that's yours, that like, you're connected and you belong. Belonging somewhere. Belonging. I mean, that's like what he spent, He spent years being told he doesn't belong here. He doesn't yeah. belong there. This corner is not yours. Yeah, he's a former resident of the encampment outside the post office. Right. So that's a tough crowd. I mean, it's a tough crowd regardless. We know, you know, there's, that's a tough place to live. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. So having a place you belong. And, and he's the first of many folks that are coming over from the post office. And I've been so. seeing some of the caseworkers that I'm friends with on Facebook post about some of the folks they've been bringing in or having a hard time bringing in even like just the day of their appointment, like all of it. I mean, they're humans. Right. We're all, we're all freaking humans, Lee. Right. So one of the questions that I got is, yeah. um, and I think you touched on it a little bit in terms of why didn't we roll a U-Haul down to the post office, load it up with everyone and move them all into the bridge home? Well, that sounds like a nightmare, number one. <laughs> um, <laughs> reminds me of another very dark time in history. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Like we don't, we don't do that. 
um, with humans. It's meant to be supportive, it's not a concentration camp. Yeah. Or, and yeah. we want people to be there that want to be there because right. people like M who came in that first day and was so excited to be home and to work on everything he needed. We don't want him somewhere. It's not jail. <laughs> you know, this yeah, is I talk with with my team. I talk yeah. to them about commitment and compliance, right? Yeah. If, if you're committed and you feel like you're a part of something and building something, you're there. You're in. No one has to watch you, right? If it's compliance and you're being forced to do something or be somewhere, you're gonna look for ways to kind of skirt Short the issue. So I, yeah. yeah. So I, I love the fact that we are um, working just with folks that are interested in changing their lives for the better and we are committed. We can make a positive environment. Yeah, committed. And like I said earlier, we can only intake so many a day because yeah. even just from sitting in on that one intake, welcoming someone home who's been sleeping on the streets for six months, two years, 10 years, it's not like, it's not a 10 minute process. Um, right. and we, you don't want it to seem so impersonal either. And I think that's part of the success of the program is giving people the space, time and energy and attention they need to adjust, feel like they're coming home, get the resources they need, do everything up front. Also, you know, we're dealing with a pandemic here. So right. there's a lot of safety precautions around who gets to come in. Everyone's wearing masks. Everyone is practicing social distancing. Um, whether or not you think it's possible, there is actually even social distancing being practiced in the kind of large dormitory areas where LASA and some of the agencies have determined kind of what's the best way to have people sleep, even though they're in these kind of like cubicles, just like given the situation, what is, what is risk mitigation here with regards to having a population even somewhat close by? So there's just so much going on there because if we have one case, um, there's a lot of obvious things that would happen from that. So we just wanna make sure everything's really safe too. So it's like the, the human side of it, but also the like public health side of it. It needs to be done well, rather than just round them up and put them somewhere because that's not doing anything well right now. Like let's yeah. do it well, if, we come to, if we've come this far, Let's make sure we're doing it as best as possible. Plus, that's more of the same. I mean, that's more yeah. of the cycle that keeps them on the streets because they, they don't learn to trust and they don't learn that any sign of permanence, right? Yes. So we're trying to transition them into, you can trust me, I'm your caseworker. You can trust me, I'm your friend, you know, who's going to help coach you through whatever. I, I'm your... Uh, what is it called when you have a oh a sponsor like a sponsor yeah AA, right society or a sponsor absolutely another thing I do notice um, and I don't know if it's just uh, with case managers or folks that work in social services in general it's very starkly juxtaposed to me is a lot of people speak a little more slowly right to allow people and like I feel like Lee you and I just wouldn't be good at this like well, I'm in the encampments like blah 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 just like firing stuff off it's like a completely different. Um, <laughs> tone and cadence <laughs> and there but like i noticed everyone being very intentional about that as well and i thought that was really lovely and it makes you feel unrushed it's very mr rogers like yeah like you deserve my time right and, and I'm the goal is hurry. right and if the goal is to create a permanent solution mm -hmm. for them in their lives you do that you know that 
first impression, super important. Yeah. And you, and you hold people to that level of, of connection yeah. all the way through the process. Right. And so you, you, you do take it. It's the personal connection up front to establish this are the rules. These are the rules. This is the expectation that we have of you. This is the expectation that you should have of us because we're committed to it and, and just working from there. So that's a beautiful thing. I love um, it. Thank you. Amber. Yeah. And then but, of course, Oh, I was just going to say the next step in this is, you know, getting those folks obviously stabilized there and then connecting them to the next step of their journey, which is either affordable housing. And that's not even, that doesn't even need to be like an official term, just housing they can afford <laughs> if they right. get a job or um, they, uh, you know, just have housing available to them or permanent supportive housing, which is what we think of as more housing that's supportive for folks that need it, who maybe are vets with PTSD or have mental health issues or someone who is on dialysis or just any of those. And when we look at our homeless population super generally, like if I was going to like give us these large buckets, which people do not fall into buckets, but in LA County, about a third of our homeless population needs permanent supportive housing or some kind of supportive housing we've deemed. And the other two thirds just need housing. They just need somewhere they can afford. Um, so this is also where we are, where I tend to be very pro-development when it comes to housing stock. So I'm not just, you know, pro permanent. I am pro obviously supportive housing and affordable housing, but the more housing stock we have, the more the prices will be affordable. And I say this a lot. I know it makes people uncomfortable. You know, I was born and raised in LA, but for us to house everyone in LA, it's going to look different than it did 15 years ago. It is. And I, I think that people need to understand that we have too many San Pedrans that pay 50 to 80% of their income towards housing. People don't get that. There's a lot of folks that, you know, their house is paid off or yeah. they've lived in the family home forever because they've been in San Pedro forever and generationally. But we have a lot of folks that don't have that luxury and are, are renting mm -hmm. and 50 to 80% of your income going towards housing is not sustainable it's and not that's what creates our homeless situation and that's what creates uh some really difficult straits for for folks and that's where especially given this time this pandemic kind of compounding the issues we already had with regards to folks that were housing insecure or borderline everything has been exacerbated and i know later on we're going to talk more about what people can do and what's being done in the community with regards to um to some other initiatives. Mm -hmm. uh, we may want to actually parlay into that pretty quickly. Yeah, so what the yeah. way I look at it is I think we need to, as a community, we need to make it as easy as possible for people to transition into a bridge home or into some kind of services, right? And we need to make it difficult to, to say no to help Mm -hmm. Or to, we need to make it difficult to those folks that choose to bring down the community. And I'm, and I'm going to sound totally harsh on that. No, especially but, if there are resources. It's yes. one thing if there was no housing stock or beds. 
Right. Like it just seemed kind of inhumane to be like, well, you can't be there. And it's like, well, where do I go? Because obviously right. jailing people is way more expensive than housing them. <laughs> way more expensive. Three <laughs> times. Isn't that. it like three, three X or four X and, and just yes. chasing them around with police officers, you know, that salary that we're paying oh to have gosh. them do the social work is insane considering they should I mean, I probably, police that's not what they joined the force for, right? Did yeah, you, well, did you join the force? One, they're not a, trained for that. They're trained oh. to do what they need to do, which is to keep me safe and to imagine that there is a gun in my hand. They are not trained to go in and do humanitarian work or, or help someone who is in like a vulnerable place or is having some kind of crisis, like personal crisis or anything like that. That's just not what they're trained to do. And I really feel for them because they're also trained to be on super high alert so that they save their lives on other people's lives, which right. is the exact opposite energy you want to be bringing into a situation where someone is vulnerable and doesn't trust authority. Exactly. So but also just what I mean with that, I was going to say economically, like our police officers who do put their lives on the line every single day, make a lot more than caseworkers do. So we could have like three caseworkers out there. Probably two X, three X. So yeah. I'm just saying, you know, like let's all, this is my big thing. Let's all do what we do best and everything will be better if we all do what we <laughs> yeah. do best. Yes. Um, and so, like I was saying, in terms of food yeah. and clothing and resources and, you know, toiletries and all that, if we can funnel some of that energy, especially from our faith-based communities and from, you know, a lot of the folks that contribute so much to yeah. San Pedro, if we can funnel some of that energy through uh, Harbor Inner Faith, mm -hmm. or we'll talk about the, the neighborhood relief fund. Relief fund. Yeah. Um, and, and if we can funnel some of that energy, then we're creating a vortex that's drawing in these folks that really need help. And it's, draw, it's creating that draw. The more people that graduate out, the more room and the word on the street people. comes out. Yeah. The more people are like, wow, maybe there is some success in there. Yeah. And that, that creates the change that we're looking for. So it really does. It really does. Um, before we move on to the relief fund. So how can they help? Yeah. yeah I ahead. mean, there's so many ways people can help. Um, and actually we got a, like a listener question that yes. I think is going to help like bring us in, in a moment. And the question I wanted to answer super technically. And then I realized the technical answer wasn't actually the good answer even. So let me just quickly read the question in short, but somebody wrote in and knowing that we were going to be co-hosts that uh, they basically said, we have homeless neighbors on our street who live in their cars. They're mostly quiet and keep to themselves. I don't have a problem with them living on our street. And I understand that times are tough, resources are scarce, but a lot of trash piles up and it makes its way over to our street. And I've even found, you know, used condoms or a syringe around the neighborhood before. And I have a young kid and I'm trying to be supportive of my homeless neighbors, but at the same time, I also wanna keep my neighborhood clean. I don't judge them. I want a clean, safe neighborhood. And I even don't wanna clean up due to, you know, the pandemic and, Anyway, this is a great question. Yeah. And I immediately started to get really technical and like, okay, I'm going to tell this person about green <laughs> zones and where this person can park so they can point them to resources. And then I was like, yeah. what would I do? I know, and this lead may have a different answer than me. I would talk to them. Mm -hmm. If it felt safe, and I think we all, I always say this, like, I think we all have pretty good internal indicators of when things feel safe. Um, especially if these neighbors living in their cars aren't quote unquote bothersome, it's more of a trash issue and they have nowhere to put their stuff. 
I would actually talk to them. I mean, this is kind of my solution for issues in general is to say like, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm your neighbor. By the way, I've noticed that this doesn't bother me, like what's going on here. I just am a little um, wary of the trash and maybe we should try to work together on a solution here. Like, do you, do you need a trash bin? Or uh, do you want to have one of ours? Or is there, whatever it is, ask someone kind of what they could use to help solve your problem together as neighbors. And also that that would automatically, like if I was a folk person living in my car, who probably is kind of ashamed that I'm living in my car and having a hard time kind of, you know, keeping it in the shadows a little bit, I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm affecting this lovely woman who lives in this neighborhood that luckily I haven't, you know, gotten in trouble and things like that. And I would take a little ownership over that and be like, okay, well, this is my neighborhood too. So I, I, you know, I don't have any right to ask, but I would love it if I could put stuff in your black bin on trash day. Right. How many people have we had in the working group meetings where they admitted they were formerly homeless and they, you know, one of the things that they talked about were the fact that no one ever made eye contact. All of a sudden they were less than human. And so your approach of just saying, hey, here's the problem. Trash in my yard is not cool. Yeah. Um, and I want to help you, you know, the way I can. How do we work this out? Do I, do you want space in my trash can? Great. Yeah. Um, and and um, maybe connecting them with resources and. Yeah, and even asking that, like, hey, I know of, this is where we're going to start talking about the Harbor Neighborhood Relief Fund. Like, I know of this hyper-local relief fund that um, is helping people financially, but also connecting people to resources that are super local. Do you have that? I don't know. There's a one-pager they have. Do you want a copy of it? But it's just how we I love your perspective. It it goes from, like, looking at them and saying, they're a problem in my my block, to, wow, that's a... that's a person, a human being that is struggling right now. How can I connect with them to make that struggle a little bit less for both of us? For, and that's the thing for both of you. It's not like you're like giving of yourself. That person was there right. all along. It's just like, how do we solve this problem together? Right. So, um, yeah, so I, that would be my answer. Now but, on the technical side, there's green zones in LA where you're allowed to park and technically not sleep in your car, but park overnight and there's those kinds of things and you could check, but okay, 550-ish homeless individuals in San Pedro, over 50% of those live in their cars, RVs. So we have more than 225 folks each night in San Pedro sleeping in a vehicle. Uh, We can't, I mean, we can't corral them. We can't, we don't even know about most of them because they are so, under the radar. Yeah. So when we know How many of them are are yeah. or waitresses That's that, the thing. or or food servers that work in our local restaurants and all of a sudden they don't all of a sudden they don't have that job anymore. Yeah, or well, they yeah. were in a difficult situation where they were quarantining with someone that is threatening to them and the only out they had was to jump in their car and sleep in it. And that car is like, um, honestly, sometimes the entry point for like street homelessness for people. It's the, yeah. I'll just sleep in my car for a while, just sleep in my car. And actually, um, 
the guy whose first day it was at the bridge house on Tuesday, he said that up like up until recently, he was a doing some janitorial work at one of our local fast food restaurants. Um, and just kind of making it work, trying to save his way. And then that, you know, that's only going to make it worse. But so I don't think we also understand how many of our homeless and housing unstable community is working. Right. Right. That's, that's a huge point. A lot of them do have jobs and you can't sustain yourself in LA on minimum wage by yourself. Yeah. So you have to be able to trust someone. You have to be able to connect with someone. You have to rely on others. And if you're a hard worker and you're not used to asking for help, then it's really easy to end up on the streets. Yeah. And then people consider you to be a ne'er-do-well. Um, yeah. But you're really a hard worker who can't ask for help. Who can't ask and, for help or know you have this low wage job in San Pedro and you don't know if you'd be able to get one, another one. And you know, you can't afford to live in San Pedro. So right. I know a lot of people say, well, then you should live in the Inland Empire. Do you know how much it would cost to drive in and out of San Pedro every single day every from day. the Inland Empire? Like that's where people's math is like, so I just live in my car. Like right. it just makes more sense actually. Um, right. I, Back to your question about how many folks in the working group had maybe experienced homelessness at some point. It's a really high percentage, like high as in surprising. I think at one meeting I looked around, it was a quarter of everyone. Um, but I would say out of the whole working group mailing list I have, which is quite robust, it's about 10%. I right. mean, that's, and it's, those aren't, uh, I didn't know that until people started to unearth it. It's not something that you get tagged with and you're like, ah, they were definitely homeless at some point. And just quickly, before we go on to the relief fund, I, when I was speaking at the, the local, the Mensa conference they had locally, um, which I mean, my boss is a Mensa member and I'm sure Lee, you're a secret Mensa member, aren't you? I was up in Berkeley. That doesn't surprise me. So it was, uh, I present or speak to communities on this a lot. I have never been in such a room of know-it-alls, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> they were like, like kind of interrupting me and giving me solutions. And I'm like, just listen. Like, so anyway, I just had to give you that hard time. For that. Of course you're a man's member. Um, but one guy stood up at the end because everyone's like, oh, no, these people could do this and this. And he was like, I lived in my car for over a year. Like a Mensa member. He was like, I was employed the whole time. And everyone was like shocked that one of their own lived in their, it was just one of those things I was like, there you go. You should have stood up earlier, dude. Um, and I, yeah. I really felt for him for having that courage, but he felt like it, it completely shifted the room. Yeah, I think it's really important to humanize what we're doing yeah. Yeah. because you, you would talk to, you know, you had talked to me in terms of the woman that you met on Skid Row who you thought was a volunteer and she looked like you. Yes. Famous age. And she was just going through a hard You're time between two jobs. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you thought she was a volunteer, but she was there for, for help. She was so, there for help. Yeah. Because, you know, slippery slope, one thing led to another. And she was like, okay, today's the, uh, today is the day I cannot couch search anymore. Couch, couch surf. Surf anymore. Today is the day I am homeless actually. And I'm going to admit it after three months of couch surfing. Right. <sighs> so in terms of a bridge home and the resources that we could bring to bear there, 
Yes. We have a list. The Chamber of Commerce has posted mm -hmm. a list on its website in terms of all the different toiletries and incidentals that could really help support that um, that space. So please go to sanpedrochamber.com and look for that list, and you will be pointed towards uh, you know the things that you could contribute. And it's really easy to drop those off, those items off to the Chamber of Commerce. And Elise Swanson, our illustrious leader and president of the chamber, uh, will make sure that those get distributed to the shelter. And along the lines of that, there are some folks that just want to donate cash or figure out, uh, or they want to donate items, but they want, they know the power of buying in bulk. And so when we make a bigger purchase for certain things that are needed down there, mm -hmm. the neighborhood relief fund is one of the ways that we can achieve that. So tell us about that. Yeah. So the Harbor neighborhood relief fund, it was uh, kind of conceptualized a long time ago, actually uh, by our faith consortium here in San Pedro, uh, which is kind of a, like a group of our faith leaders, but we right around the right on March, when this pandemic hit, a group of us got together and thought, you know, there's so many, there's so many kind of small micro efforts going on with either nonprofits themselves or just people in the neighborhood trying to do what they can because, because damn it, we're San Pedro and we want to help our own. Um, so we were like, okay, let's formalize this a little and give someone a funnel so that we're not also just duplicating efforts. Like it's not just like a waste of too many meals or too much laundry detergent being given out or whatever. And so the chamber was so nice enough to kind of host it logistically and then feed and be fed, which is the dinosaur church downtown uh, or is hosted at the dinosaur church downtown said that they would be the fiscal sponsor of it with their 501c. And so the Harbor Neighborhood Relief Fund is literally formed by the community for the community, super grassroots. Uh, there's a, a committee of folks that represent the faith communities, the nonprofit community, the business community, and our local fire chief, um, because they didn't want us to get to, what did they say? Like, they didn't want the bleeding hearts to be given out all the money. And there I was like, I it. thought the fire department was a bleeding heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, definitely more business-minded folk. Or, or uh, So it's this really great group, actually, that gets together every single week and reviews applications and have also been gathering funding from their own resources and Rolodexes. And so we are responding mostly to applicants that are individuals and families. We've given two grants to organizations that are responding to the needs of individuals and families. And we also give out a list of local resources. So we're not trying to duplicate anything. It's not like, oh, you need meals and we'll just give you money. It's like, okay, well, you can go to Toberman. This organization's also giving out meals. Here's the food banks. Like we're, we're trying to make sure everyone is connected as possible so that when we give out these cash grants, these grants are leveraged with all the other resources in the community. So we've given out to date and we've been giving out funding for about three months now, because it took us a little while to gather funding. We've given out 80 grants to individuals and families and those have been around $500 each, between three and $500. And then two, um, two organizations that I think were both 2000. So we've given about $45,000 over right. the last three months that have gone right back into this community, directly back. And, and, and by community, you mean Wilmington, San Pedro? Oh yeah, Pedro. sorry, Wilmington, yep. San Pedro, and Harbor City. And anyone who tells me that San Pedro is getting most of the funding, I would actually say we are not getting, we're actually getting the least of the funding so far, and that's okay. 
because it's where the need is greatest. And, and it's for the folks that are falling between the cracks, you know, from that aren't in a category that can be helped by any other service providers, those folks that are affected by COVID that just need a little boost. And examples of what people have been spending the money on have been like uh, medications, as in, you know, their copay for medications to stay on them, um, speech therapy for their kids because like schools are closed and the services aren't available, things like that. Um, diapers, we get a lot for diapers. Um, if anyone really wants to cry, call me about diapers one day and I'll, t I'll tell you exactly how low income families make WIC dollars and diapers um, last. And yeah, it, how they can stretch. Yeah. How they can stretch and, and you, will, you will feel for people. Let's just say that. Um, so, and some rent assistance or just kind of just filling in the cracks. And the stories that have come out of this, I mean, so there's a couple of members of the committee who are bilingual as well, who have been delivering these to families, socially distanced. And the stories have been mostly that people are like, what, it, what? <laughs> I applied, but like, I didn't think anyone would like, ha like this would ha like, this is a real thing. <laughs> right. Um, and people were like, come in, let me feed you. And they're like, no, I yeah. can't come in. <laughs> like, a lot of um, tears, a lot of so just surprise, yeah. And like kids coming to the door and being like, what? <laughs> like, and then this, oh my gosh, one of the stories that like I keep thinking of is we had a woman who applied who needs car repairs, but then we actually just gave a grant the week earlier to a man who said, hey, if anyone needs, like, I don't, I don't have a job right now, but I do car repairs. So if you know of anyone who needs car repairs, I can do it just for the cost of the parts. And so we were like, ah, we pay, you know, we have resources. You're trying so hard to make me cry right now. You were trying so hard. <laughs> How much do you love that? Oh my God. It's so like yeah. by the community for the community. And I do love the stories of people just being like almost apprehensive. Like, I don't know if I should take this. And it's like, you applied. Like, yeah. it's not like I came out of nowhere. <laughs> and they feel so appreciative and they want to, especially the guy who does car repairs, they yeah. want to give back. They, that's why you have 10% of the folks that came to the working group meetings that were formerly yes. homeless. That's why, because they feel like so appreciative of the help that they were given to get up and out. Well, they want to give back. I've heard over and over from the the folks that I know of that have experienced homelessness on the working group, why they do it. And it's usually for two reasons. One is because doing this work will show me that I have a greater purpose so that I do not get back there. And I always think of that. And that's one of the reasons I'm so protective over the working group and who gets to, to like, I always want people to feel like they can speak freely, but I never want people to make the space unsafe for the folks that I know that this is the space that in some ways is keeping them okay. Yeah. Um, so it's that reason. And I, I'm very protective over those people. Um, and then also folks say that, yes, there are amazing caseworkers out there and amazing organizations and they are overburdened. Really they are because we just don't invest in them enough. So for a lot of folks that successfully got off the street, it was about person caring about them that wasn't paid to care about them and that's coupled with the services so coupled with resources and a caseworker and the people doing the logical things that need to get done 
next to someone who's like, hey, you know you're worth it, right? You know there's more than this. And I care about you and I see it. Like that made a big difference. So people reflect on that too, that if they could be that for anyone, even like a sliver of that, it would be that person's lifeline. Yeah. And that's beautiful. I think it's really, especially since a lot of the Harbor Relief Fund uh, uh, creation came from the faith-based community, I think it'd be beautiful if for the next steps, the, the organizations within San Pedro that are faith-based could look for opportunities to either sponsor certain aspects of the bridge home in terms mm-hmm. of resources that are needed or look for opportunities to sponsor people yeah. to be the adopt I really want to get person. into a place where we have a really robust network of local advocates that are like almost one-on-one. Like you pair up with someone, like I always think this, so Pastor Lisa hosts these amazing shower events, like once a month at the church where people come get showers, but they also get a hot meal and they get community. Haircut. And people, a haircut, that's right. Um, subterranean hair does it a lot. So it's like, you're getting a damn good haircut for free, but right. like, exactly. I, I don't know, I mean, I've, I've tried to sit in the chair and Mitch is like, you can't, I know you could pay for your haircut. Um, but I, that community, like part of me wants to use that as a matchmaking event where I just am like, yeah, we don't even, we don't even need more volunteers. Just come eat breakfast with all of us. And if there's someone there that resonates with you, I don't know, figure out where they live. Like, okay, you live at the corner of 8th and Mesa. Do you need something? Can I come visit you once every few weeks and just check on you? And then from there- Can I be someone that you call if you need to just talk to someone? Here's my number. If something happens or anything, I mean, I I get a lot of calls from the, you know, the handful of folks that I'm that person for that it's like, we're having a cleanup today and, you know, it's going fine, but then this thing's happening. I just don't know what to do. Or like, I've gotten calls like, I need to go to the hospital. Will you either take me or will you come sit here while I'm waiting for 911? It's like, yeah, of course. Like, yes. Like, will you make sure they take me where I'm supposed to go? Yes, of course. Yeah. So I think it'd be great if we were able to create something around that, create a basic framework and then have uh, coaches and have uh, resources available for those folks. That's the thing. We need to support those people. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not easy. easy. The first time you do it, you'll really get a good tutorial of what your boundaries are and should be because you'll yeah. go all in. And then yes. everyone needs to learn that personally, what they're all in doesn't do and doesn't work. Yeah. You know, you can't you become have- that codependent. You need to be someone that's actually helping them mm-hmm. and um, helping yourself, keeping yourself from, yes. from you're no good if you burn out and burning out. Exactly. And you're also no good if you give someone everything. Right. Doesn't help them. Right. Anyway. Perfect. So I would, inc- I would definitely encourage people if you want to do something like Lee said, go to the chamber website, uh, grab some things off that list, or just drop $5, $10, $25,000 to the Harbor Neighborhood Relief Fund and know that 100% of that money is going directly out. We, no one's taking anything off of that. I mean, one day if, if we keep going, we may have to change a little bit of that just so we, <laughs> so many people, like the chamber has donated staffing to this like literal hours of staffing where the relief fund is staffed now um so it's incredible that we're getting to do this all for free yeah that's a beautiful thing 
Um, any other items that we wanted to talk about before? No, I think we solved homelessness. I think it done and done. I think we solved it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I really appreciate you. I think you've helped me connect better with the community of San Pedro, just based on the work that you've created around our homeless issue, because that is, that's job one for a lot of the business related activities that we have in San Pedro. I love when you got your award at our installation luncheon uh, two years ago, I think. Yeah, we didn't um, have one this year. Yeah, and, and I love when you, you basically laid it out. Taking care of our homeless situation is good for business. It is, it's good for all of us. No yeah. one benefits from this. Right. Not our individuals living on the street, none of us, not our children, no one. I mean, even I think about like my kids going to LAUSD schools, my daughter's gonna start kindergarten here at Point Furman, hopefully knock on wood, however that looks in the fall. And just knowing how LAUSD looks, she will be in classes or in school with kids who are experiencing homelessness. No one benefits from that. No one benefits yeah. from having a kid fall asleep in class because they slept in their car last night and they took turns sleeping. No, I mean, yeah. just, I don't know. I mean, this is where- People don't get that. There's not a, a school in San Pedro that doesn't have a number of homeless kids. No, no, in no. It. there is no not school that's immune to this. No public school at least, no. No one is immune to this. Yeah. I mean, and, and probably in your life, you don't know it, but someone you know or love has been affected by it. Right. Um, so it's, I say it again, it's really the intersection of all of the issues that we deal with as a city and community and region around education and domestic violence and economy and business. Like this is, this is how we see issues manifest. So we have to do it. And and Lee, I have to, I, I commend you as the chair bear of the chamber for, you know, putting it out there and putting yourselves out there. So really. Yeah. No, I, I, I often say that we're the best chamber of commerce in the universe, trademark pending. And <laughs> I, I really think it's because of the people that are committed to San Pedro that are actively involved in the chamber and the businesses that are directly committed to San Pedro and, and the activities that make us better. And so I hope that people remember that we're all people. We're all trying to do the best we can. And we just need to go out there and be good to each other. I so agree. I mean, stay human and stay curious. There we go. Thank you, Amber. I always love spending time with you. This is probably the first time in a while that we did it without wine. So um, I oh, really... speak for yourself. This is not tea. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, truly, I was thinking that. But, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, we got work to do. There we go. Thank you, Amanda, for giving us the forum and the ability Seriously. to do this and and for just really reflecting on the positive aspects of San Pedro and how people are getting things done here and making a difference in our community because we all love it, we all care about it, and although we might not agree on how to get it done, just rolling up our sleeves and working on it as with the passions that we have is how we make it better. So true. Yep, we just right. got to get, we get moving. All right. All right, Thanks be good everyone. to each other. Thank you so much. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, be sure to check out the links in the show notes and I'll see you next week.